So you guys were just kind of reacting, even though you couldn't hear me? <laughs> I guess that, uh, thank you, Peter. I, think, I guess that uh, tells me something. So um, I was reading a lot about space travel this week. Beatrice is big into space, and we went to a planetarium. So I was reading about like space elevators and uh, how like, they're even looking at having a restaurant on the moon. And there's supposed to be really good food, but no atmosphere. I was trying to think of a Western joke. I really only have one, and it's not good, but I guess that's the thing. So why do cowboys ride horses? They're too heavy to carry. Okay. So I'm going to, okay, wow, I got a groan. That's awesome. Okay. So uh, we are going to continue the miracles series, uh, and each week we are talking about the miracles of God. and and how amazing they are and how powerful they are, how they still happen today, but how they, they can change not just our lives, but how we see the world, how we see each other, how we treat each other, how we live. And so last week when, when I spoke, I talked about the Red Sea and just the amazingness that it must have felt like, the, the, how it went from fear and worry to just this astonishment at the sea parting and how that can happen in our lives in different ways. And this week I'm going to continue, but I'm going to go to a more personal level in some ways uh, about our calling and about our daily lives and about what we do each day as Christians. So I want to start with Joshua uh, chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Now the gates of Jericho were tightly shut because the people were afraid of the Israelites. No one was allowed to go out or in, but the Lord said to Joshua, I have given you Jericho, its king, and all its strong warriors. You and your fighting men should march around the town once a day for six days. Seven priests will walk ahead of the ark, each carrying a ram's horn. On the seventh day, you are to march around the town seven times with the priests blowing the horns. When you hear the priests uh, give one long blast on the ram's horns, have all the people shout as loud as they can. Then the walls of the town will collapse and the people can charge straight into the town. So Joshua called together the priests and said, Take up the ark of the covenant of the Lord's covenant, and assigned seven priests to walk in front of it, each carrying a ram's horn. Then he gave orders to the people, march around the town, and the armed men will lead the way in front of the Ark of the Lord. So this was a major battle. This was an important battle, not just because Jericho was a formidable fortress city. It wasn't very big, but, I mean, it was a powerful defensive location. But also because this was kind of essentially the start of their march into Canaan to take the promised land. And so how this battle goes determines a lot of the rest. And so it's one of the harder ones. Now, uh, I think a lot of times maybe if people were planning this, Joshua may have been like, okay, let's start with like a small one and build some victories and build it up a little bit, and then we'll get to Jericho, and then we'll go to some of the bigger ones. But God's like, we're starting big, guys. We are starting big, and I'm going to give this to you. And I'm going to give you the plan and exactly what to do. Now, I... Uh, for them and for us, from human thought, from a human point of view, this is an insane plan. Now, not just that, that you're trusting God, which is important. That's not insane. That's how we live. But the fact that there's a fortress and you're not supposed to attack it. You're not supposed to shoot rocks at it or arrows or catapults or whatever else. Uh, you're supposed to walk around it and, and yell. And that sounds crazy on its own. But, but just... Not just waiting for that, but knowing that Jericho has people too. And so they may be throwing stuff or shooting stuff or whatever. So like this takes a lot of faith for Joshua to say, okay, 
Okay, God, you've done all of this. Now God had proven himself over and over and over again. You've done all of this. I trust you. I have faith. And then for the elders and the soldiers and the people, uh, this takes a lot of faith too because Joshua is now going to them and saying, hey, God told me this. This is what we're going to do. And again, we look at this. And if you take out what you know, and if you know the story of Jericho, just take that out. Imagine hearing this from your leaders. This is what we're going to do. Your, your first thought is, what? Like, are you kidding me? Are you serious? This is insane. Because it is insane. But it is a calling for them to act for God. A lot of times in church, we talk about the calling, and, and we say, you know, we've all been called. I've said this myself. We've all been called to ministry in some way, and that's very true. And we think often about the lifetime calling, about ministry, uh, about preaching, about uh, singing, about leading VBS, about teaching kids, uh, about volunteering, and all of those things are awesome, and all of those things are important, and all of those things are needed here. But it is also a daily calling, a daily calling in how we treat other people, in how we live, in how we show our faith, in how we show our love, in how we show who we are. And that daily calling is something that requires us to listen to God. It requires us to build a relationship with him. It requires us to, to pay attention to the needs and the hopes and the dreams of other people and to just do our best each day. And all of these things are a daily thing. And it is very easy to feel unqualified. It is very easy to feel like you're not ready. It is very easy to feel like you're not needed, like anybody else can step up and do it for you. And again, I'm not just talking the lifetime calling. I'm talking like, man, that person over there, they're, they're crying and they feel really sad. I can tell that. But I just, I don't have anything to offer to them. Or uh, volunteer, like for VBS or for children or for youth. Well, what, what, how can I do that? Like, I don't have anything to offer. Look at me. Like, what can I do? And it's very easy to have those feelings. Uh, so going back to my life a little bit, when I, my first major in college was secondary education for English, because I like to choose lucrative paths. And, <laughs> and it, so high school teaching. And so I, I took it, and I was like, OK, this is kind of cool. I took the first couple classes. This was first semester. And then uh, I took a class where it's like, hey, you have to, you're going to have to talk in front of this class. And I was like, whoa, public speaking is a part of teaching? I can't do that. <laughs> and, so, and so I changed it to just English, because again, awesome money opportunities. And, uh, but I was like, I was so scared of public speaking. Meanwhile, God's like, hey, you know, I got some news for you later, but you'll find out. <laughs> and then so cut to a few years later, I, I went back home to take care of my grandma, and I started volunteering in the youth group at, at my church. And uh, when we got a new youth pastor, he sent out or handed out surveys, because this was old school, handed out surveys of just like all of these questions about your gifts, your uh, hopes, like things you want to do. And I remember very clearly that one of them was, what are you willing to do for the ministry? And despite all of my fears and despite everything else, for whatever reason, I put, I'm willing to do anything. And he definitely took advantage of that. <laughs> but I remember also very clearly the first time he's like, hey, I'm going to be out of town, and I think that you can do this. Will you speak to the teens? And I said, no. I did. I said no, because I was not, I did not feel ready. I did not feel qualified. It was like, I'm not good enough. I can't speak. Nobody wants to hear what I have to say. Because sometimes we want to wait for God to, to 
tell us directly, hey, you are ready. And to feel that readiness, to feel just that, that like I've got an entire message in my head or I've got an entire idea in my head or whatever. We want to feel that. We want to wait over much. I made that up. Over a lot for the signs, for, for direction, for something. And, and we feel so unqualified that we don't listen to anything else because we don't think we have anything to offer. I have a quote, and this is, uh, God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. And it's kind of a, a common saying, I think, like we've all heard this in one way or another, but it's also very true. You see, one of the things, sometimes if you work in a church or you go to church, you hear something called like, oh, that's church talk, or that's a church answer. Well, the reason those become those quote-unquote cliches is because they're true, like because they, they last, they go forward. And so when God calls us, he knows that we don't feel qualified. He knows that we haven't had the experience. He knows that we're not ready. He knows that maybe we don't think we're good enough. He knows that maybe we think other people have more to offer. But then he goes with us. You see, God will never call you and say, hey, Carrie, I want you to go and do this. And then I'll come back in six months and check on you, okay? He's never going to do that. He is going to go step by step, brick by brick, go along with you every step of the way. You see, he didn't call Joshua and say, hey, I want you guys to do this. And then after this is over, then I'll come back and see how the wall thing went. He said, guys, I am with you, and I am going to qualify you, and I'm going to teach you, and I'm going to help you, and I'm going to take down the wall. Spoiler alert for later. And for Joshua, and for the elders, again, this looks crazy, but God wanted to show them a reliance on faith and what that does. Because how did they get to this point? Because Moses and the, the original spies had some doubts. Joshua was one of the ones that's like, I think we should go in. But they had some doubts. And so God's like, well, we're going to wait a generation, and you're not going to get into the promised land. And so he's saying, like, guys, it's time to do that reliance thing. It's time to trust me. It's time to have faith. And then I'm going to be here. And he proved that. He doesn't leave us ever. Going to the next scripture. Uh, this is, I'm cutting down to verse 15. On the seventh day, the Israelites got up at dawn and marched around the town as they had done before. But this time, they went around the town seven times. The seventh time around, as the, priests, as the priests sounded the long blast on their horns, Joshua commanded the people, shout for the, Lord, shout, for the Lord has given you the town. Jericho and everything in it must be completely destroyed as an offering to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and the others in her house will be spared, for she protected our spies." So going from theory to practice is a huge step. It feels like a huge step. Going from, you know what, I really think that I could help here. Or I really think I could teach this. I really think that I could volunteer this. I really think I could serve. I really think I could take down Jericho. To then acting on it. Going from, I trust you, God. I love you, God. I know you're with me, God. To, I'm going to do what you say, God. That feels like a huge step. But again, he's with us the entire way. And so here, we see that for seven days, they marched around the town. Now, there's something significant there that you might not catch right away. For seven days. If you do something for seven days, 
you are also doing it on the Sabbath. And that's something I'm going to talk about a little bit next week, but although not to you guys, but next week. Uh, they did it for seven days. Now, marching around, that took faith. Going against something they knew to be a commandment also took faith because they had to trust God. That they were doing it for His purpose, not their own. They were doing it for His purpose, and so they're doing it. And they're walking around, and imagine how they feel. The people marching, they're like, you know, maybe kind of looking up. Like just a second ago, I looked over and I saw that there's a snake right here. I saw that one and I saw that one. And I just caught that one out of the corner of my eye. And so they're seeing stuff like that. And they're like, what if they start throwing stuff? What if they start shooting stuff? But they still march. But imagine that feeling of nervousness, of faith, yes, of courage, yes. But just that feeling of what it must feel like to go out, to step out of their comfort zone, to step out of what they think they can do, to trust entirely God. Because they have really nothing to do with the wall falling down. And then imagine the other Israelites who are watching like, man, I hope this works. Like, what, what, what is this? What's happening? What, what are they doing? And then imagine the, the people of Jericho, the Jerichoites. They're standing there, they're sitting there, and they're watching, and they're like, uh, guys, I think they've lost it a little bit. <laughs> like, they're just walking around. I've not really been in fights, but I would imagine that if uh, you were in high school and you're about to get in a fight, don't do that if you're in high school now, uh, going back a lot for some of you, and you're about to get in a fight, and you just start walking around them, they're going to be kind of, well, freaked out, but also like, what, what's going on? And so just imagine all of the feelings, all of the thoughts that are going on here. But then imagine the faith that it took to do it. And not just the faith of the Israelites and Joshua, but Joshua mentions Rahab the prostitute. And I'm going to tell you who that is, in case you don't know, but her faith. So a few days ago, weeks ago, however long it was here, uh, Joshua sent a couple spies into town to just check things, see what the fortifications are, see what their army is like, see what the town is like, see what they have to do. And so they had to hide in this woman's house, Rahab the prostitute. That's a horrible title to have, but that's what she had. And so they had to hide there. And, you know, the soldiers are looking by, around because they know that there's spies there. And she keeps them safe. She hides them. She helps them get out of town. Now, here's the thing about that. She's not an Israelite. She wasn't raised with a reliance of God. She wasn't raised with this faith. She did this because she felt God's calling. She had faith in him despite really no evidence yet. She had faith and she lived it out and she followed that calling. Even though everybody around her was like, we've got to get rid of these Israelites. She's like, I feel something different here. And I would imagine her life was not very easy. Because again... The people that like her are calling her Rahab the prostitute. I'm going to guess, and this is an educated guess, this was not a, a, a lifestyle by choice for her. And so she probably was hurt several times. People probably said awful things about her, and yet she's still like, okay, I think God, I think this God has something. And so she showed great faith, not just in doing that, but in staying in the town. You see, she helped the enemy get out, and then she had to stay there and wait and trust that nobody's going to find out and trust that Israel's not going to betray her and trust that they're going to remember and they're going to find the right house. And I know that there's a marker and everything, but just in the middle of a battle, 
And so she had all of this faith and all of this trust. She followed God's call, despite what everybody said about her, despite what her life was like, despite what she felt about herself. She followed God's call. And she had faith. And it was such an amazing thing. And honestly, that's really a miracle in itself. Because Joshua, he had reason to follow God. Rahab, we don't know what her life was like, but again, probably not great. And yet, even though she didn't know much about it, she's like, I trust this God. And she followed him. And then as the Israelites are walking around, she's hearing that and she's waiting and she's like, this is their plan? But she waits and she trusts in her position, in the Israelites' position, in our position sometimes, it's very easy to hear something or to know something that we're going to do down the line and, and to jump ahead and to be like, I got this. Like, I'm already going to be a success here. Like, I've got this one. You know, there's no way that I could lose this. There's no way that I could lose this interview. There's no way I could fail this test. There's no way that I could mess this up. Or on the flip side, like, ah, man, I'm just not going to be good enough to get that job, or I'm just not going to be good enough to, to do this thing that I'm called to do. I'm not going to be, uh, I'm not going to just be able to do it. And we jump ahead. And instead of, of like thinking it through, we're like, ah, we jump to the end. We jump to the end. And so I have another quote. This is a simple one. One step at a time is all it takes to get you there. You see, part of that unqualified feeling it comes from the, the jumping ahead and the thinking at the end instead of step by step. But every single thing we can accomplish, every single thing in our life, it has to go step by step, a step at a time. And it's so easy to want to rush it. When we're young, it's so easy to want to rush past college to when we're an adult. And that's so awesome. I can't wait to pay taxes and bills. <laughs> and then when we're an adult, it's so easy to rush to retirement. Man, I cannot wait. I'm not going to make fun of retirement. I, I cannot wait until I don't have to work anymore, whatever. And so we rush ahead all of the time. But life is step by step. I've heard it said before uh, that life is in the moment. It's not in the end or the journey. I messed that up, but you understand what I'm saying. Uh, if you look, okay. So if you look at a gravestone, and I realize that's dark, but trust me. Uh, it has the years like 1918 to 2011. And that hyphen there is our life. That hyphen is the step-by-step. -step. You don't go from birth to death. You don't go from uh, a job interview to retirement. You don't go from entering college to being a success in your career. You don't go from deciding to, to follow Jesus to suddenly being a pastor. It's step-by-step. And so part of that feeling qualified, part of trusting God, part of doing that is praying, and that's an important step. All, every single step should involve that. But going step by step, going brick by brick, uh, just doing what we can when we're called to understand that God is there. And so he said to the Israelites and to Joshua, you know, do this for seven days. And then on the seventh day, do this. He didn't say, I'm going to tear down the wall now. He let them do it step by step. And he was teaching them about life, about faith, about taking things a moment at a time, about trusting him each step of the way. That's such an important thing. And all of us mess this up. 
I can promise you that I still jump ahead sometimes, and I'm like, how in the world am I going to preach this week? But then I stop myself, and sometimes I stop myself several hundred times, and I'm like, okay, pray, slow it down. Pray, step. How are you going to start? Will they laugh at the opening joke? If they don't, walk away, that type of thing. (laughs) And step by step by step. And that's what we do. That's how we serve. That's how we live for him. One day, we'll be in heaven. And that's the ultimate victory. We've talked about that before. But there's a lot of space until we get there to do so much for him. To help so many people see who he is. But it goes step by step. Now I want to go to the miracle. This is verse 20. When the people heard the sound of the ram's horns, they shouted as loud as they could. Suddenly the walls of Jericho collapsed and the Israelites charged straight into the town and captured it. They completely destroyed everything in it with their swords, men and women, young and old cattle, uh, sheep, goats, and donkeys. Meanwhile, Joshua said to the two spies, keep your promise, go to the prostitute's house and bring her out along with her family. The men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab, the father, the mother, brothers, and all the other relatives who were with her. They moved her whole family to a safe place near the camp of Israel. Now, this may not look the same as the Red Sea parting, but a wall falling down just because they're yelling to God is a pretty amazing miracle. And it shows that God demolishes barriers, and it shows that God prepares us, but it shows what God does when we follow him each step, when we trust him each step. And it's such an amazing miracle. And it's such a call for faith and for trust. And if you look through all of it, Israel had a role. Maybe not what they expected it to be. But they had a role. Not just to march, but then to do the right thing in. And one of the things that I didn't read, but it's leave all of the silver and all of the the, the jewels and everything because that's the offering to God because this was the the, the first offering and all of that. But they had to follow his commands. They had to follow his orders. They had to follow his call. But they had a role. And their faith was rewarded with victory and eventually with the promised land. But it was rewarded because they followed him. They trusted him. Rahab had a role. She trusted God and she let these people she didn't know go to this country she didn't know who was going to take down her city. She trusted God. And then she waited, and she trusted that Joshua wouldn't betray her, and she waited. And she had a role, and her life was rewarded uh, with her family being safe. Here's the big thing. So I've said repeatedly, because the Bible says repeatedly, uh, Rahab the prostitute, her other reward, beyond safety, beyond a life of faith, if you go to Matthew and you look at the line of Jesus or you look through the Bible and you find the line of Jesus, she is a part of his line. This woman who was treated as nothing, this woman who had made bad choices, who had made mistakes, whatever led her to this point, no one would have expected this. And yet, because she trusted God, not only was she safe, but she was a part of the line of the Messiah forever. That is amazing. Now, if she is that, that means anybody, anybody has a role in his ministry. And so that was her reward. 
for generations. And eventually people would talk about, when they would look at the line, they'd say, oh, Rahab mother of, or Rahab, Rahab wife of, and they'd drop the rest of the things they called her. Now, through her life, maybe not. But she followed God, she trusted him, and she was rewarded, and she did it step by step. And she followed his calling, not just long term, but in the moment. Joshua had a role. He had to lead. He had to to lead like Moses did, but also he had to go above what Moses did. And he had to prove himself, and he had to, to show them that he could do it, and he had to show them that he was ready, and he had to show them. And he did that by trusting God, by following his call, by following the call to lead, but then by following the call step by step to to love people, to treat each other in the the, the army, to treat them with respect, with kindness, to show them who God was every step of the way. Everyone on this side in the story showed faith and obedience and endurance and courage. And they all felt these rewards. Now here's the thing. This isn't a movie, and life's not a movie, so there wasn't a cut, and like the sun didn't go down, and it's like, oh, we beat Jericho, it's all good, everybody's happy. It's not what happens. See, from there, there was still a lot to do, and Israel messed up a lot. Joshua also was not perfect, and I would imagine that despite everything she did, the people of Israel probably at times didn't treat Rahab fairly because that's what we do. She probably still heard awful things about her past because people love to remind us of our past. And yet, they kept going. You see, it would be awesome if we answered the call and then boom, Everything's saved and everyone's changed and everything's good and then the rest of our life is awesome and and each day we just follow him and everybody's happy and everybody's nice to us. That's not what happens. Again, it's not a movie. There's still hard times. Sometimes people won't listen to us. Sometimes people hurt us. They turn against us. Sometimes people leave us. Sometimes we leave people. Sometimes we we pour everything we have. And it just seems like nothing hits. Like the story of the seeds from Jesus. Like it's like none of it's growing. I'm not doing anything. And so it's easy again to fall back in. Even after we answer the call. Even after we follow him. Even after we have faith. Even after we march around Jericho. It's easy to look at the world around us. And think, why? What am I accomplishing? Even if I do this, even that I've given my life to this, even though I've done this, even though I've tried this, nothing's changing. The news is still depressing. Everyone in politics still hates everyone else in politics. No one cares about anybody else. It still feels like this. Gas prices are still super high. What am I doing? It's easy to go from there to nothing else matters. Why? And with that perspective, sure, That's true. You see, even if all of us, everyone in this room, goes out and does good, not just today, but tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow, the world overall will still be the world overall. You see, we can't save or change anyone. That's what God does. 
but it's like, well, what, what do I do? What's the point? I have one more quote. This is from a TV show I love. It's an old TV show. If nothing we do matters, then all that matters is what we do. You see, what that means is that, yes, you cannot change anyone's heart or mind or life. And, yes, you cannot save anyone. But by acting, by living in faith, by showing who you serve, you are showing them that God can. You are showing them that God is with you. You are showing them what faith means. That's what God does. Because again, the Israelites did not tear down the wall. God did. The Israelites marched around. We are marching. What we do, how we do it, how we live, how we treat other people, how we love matters. There is one more thing, and this is something that I love to think, and sometimes I say it. As Christians, we know that we are saved by grace. Salvation comes because God loves us so much that he sent his only son to die on a cross for us and shed his blood for us and give us a chance to choose him. That's grace. We don't deserve that. And so we also know you cannot work your way into heaven. You can do all the good deeds in the world. You can do everything kind. You can do everything loving. But Choosing him is how you get into heaven. You cannot work your way into heaven. But the work we do, the love we show, the life we live, shows others the path to heaven. So you can't work your way into heaven. But doing that work shows people that there is a heaven and that they can go there too. This is our calling. This is our marching. This is our day-by-day, step-by-step life. And it will be hard sometimes. Sometimes you're going to feel so good and you're going to see someone turn their life around or you're going to feel someone thank you or you're just going to just feel a part of it. Sometimes you're not. However, you're still planting a seed. You're still showing them. You're still living for him. You're still marching around the walls. And he will do the rest. That's all I got. Please stand. We won't have piano today because... For all we know, there is no piano today. (laughs) This is such an amazing story. And the walls of Jericho falling is so amazing. But every time I read it, every time I think it, I am drawn back to Rahab. And the fact that Israel in the Bible called her Rahab the prostitute or Rahab the harlot, we can only imagine what everybody else called her in person. And so people are going to call you things. And sometimes just because you do the right thing. Sometimes people will hate you just because you're kind. And it is so easy for us to give in to that feeling. And to not only say nothing else matters, 
but to say, I don't care about them anymore. I will just take care of myself and my family. What if Joshua had done that? What if Rahab had done that? What if Jesus had done that? We are here for a reason. Everyone in this room is a miracle. And so after the prayer, as we go from here, show people that miracle. Show them the way to heaven by showing them heaven in your life. Please bow your heads. Dear Lord, thank you so much for bringing us together here today. Thank you so much for giving us a chance to worship you. Thank you so much for the heroes of the Bible, for for the heroes that have followed you. Thank you so much for the calling that you've given each of us, for the chance daily to worship you. Thank you so much for those that have given so much time to preparing for VBS, for, for all of the adults and the teens that are going to help with VBS this week. And thank you so much for the kids that are going to come, Lord. Help them to see Jesus. And help us to show Jesus. And help us as we go from here to show people the miracle of your love, of your salvation, of your hope, of your life. And help us to do that each step of the way. And to remember when we feel weak, when we feel hurt, when we feel broken, when we feel like we're losing, that you are tearing down walls for us. Be with us, Lord. Thank you for all that you've done. In your name we pray. Amen.